0: All right. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada. Ben is still on his honeymoon. He's still slacking when we need him most. Uh, How dare he? But we are continuing on without him, and we're almost done with our team-by-team offseason series. In this episode, we've got the San Antonio Spurs Uh, joining us as Michael Erler. He covers the team for Pounding the Rock. He's been around for many, many years, one of my favorite writers on the SB Nation network. And we're going to get into where this team is going because it's not so clear They won 67 games last year, but it does kind of feel like they don't have a great chance to win the title, and there may be some part of the Spurs culture that's eroding. There's some LaMarcus Aldridge trade rumors, uh, no more Tim Duncan. What's the next era of the Spurs going to be? We're going to get into that question, some concerns we have about this team, and a whole lot more with Mike. It's a really fun conversation, and I think it will surprise some people that are expecting the Spurs to be a bit of an institution at the top of the league for many more years to come. But before we do that, please subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review, and let us know what we're doing well, what you don't like, what you do like. We accept your constructive criticism, especially as we kind of go into the beginning of the year. And send us questions you want asked about our remaining teams, about anything else. We'll take them on the show. You can tweet us at limited underscore upside. You can also email me at MikePrada at SBNation.com. But until then, enjoy the San Antonio Spurs with Michael Erler of Pounding the Rock. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Shut up and sit down. The San Antonio Spurs, Michael Erler pounding the rock. And Michael, before we get into this year's team, I have to ask, how weird is it to prepare for the first season in two decades without Tim Duncan on the team?
1: Uh, I mean, to be honest, I don't really know what it's going to be like, what it's going to feel like until it happens. I mean, the, the thing about the Spurs, it's almost like they've, they've kind of... Uh, They've kind of been helpful in the sense of warming us up for it because these last four, five, six years, however long it may have been, we've had these games where Duncan's just being rested even when he's not hurt, where he would you know miss 10 games, 15 games, you know, just DNP rest. So we kind of it kind of like is gonna I think it was like kind of like a soft transition for Spurs fans of what to expect with him not being there and what they've seen what we've seen in a lot of cases is them still being successful them still cranking out these regular season wins even while he was sitting so i think that's made it easier for fans somewhat that it's not like a situation where oh your best player in franchise history is gone now the team is going to be terrible now you're going to have a nuclear winner when are we going to ever be good again and you know all is all is lost all is lost kind of thing
0: right and so his his role is definitely lessened as years have gone on, like you said, especially last year. He was really a very part-time player. Did he? I don't remember exactly how many minutes a game he played, but it was not that many. I I, Again, I should have these things looked up. Uh, 25 minutes a game, and it, it felt like less and it did feel like last night uh, that number surprised me to be honest with you. Yeah, so he only played 25 minutes a game. That said, I think one of the the fears that I think a lot of people have with the Spurs is that even though he was not playing in all of these games and even though he was playing fewer minutes in these games, he was still there as like a culture setter. And are is there a concern that without Duncan, the culture of the Spurs, though it is kind of very well protected and passed down through Greg Popovich, Kawhi Leonard. Is there a concern that some of that might erode just without having Duncan's presence there? I still
1: think at the end of the day, your ultimate culture setter is Pop, and he's just so respected within the organization, within the players, even play, even guys who've never been Spurs, whether it's LeBron James or Chris Paul or whoever, you know, they adore Pop. And I just think he's so ingrained in that organization as long as he's around, you know... You know the the, I don't and you know Duncan's still going to be there Duncan's still going to be an assistant coach more or less he's still going to he's still in the building quite often so I don't think they're going to really lose as much of that as people think plus you know I think it's it's been helpful that Manu Ginobili didn't retire so they're still going to get another year of him you know to have that cultural transition and his influence within the building which is quite substantial and you know at the end of the day, I think Kawhi Leonard has been around long enough where he's kind of taken that mantle both uh, on the floor and, uh, and and off the floor. Just, uh, you know, the, the kind of leadership where he doesn't say a lot, he he lead, leads with his actions.
0: What was his new title, Tim Duncan, the assistant coach of whatever he feels like? Was that the quote that Pop gave? Yeah, yeah, the assistant coach of whatever he feels like. That's pretty nice. I, I love to have that title. I'm actually the editor of whatever I feel like for SB Nation. Uh I like that. Let's Good living if that. you can get it. <laughs> Let's... Let's go with that. So I think I agree that the culture is sort of been passed down in a way, and that they have been transitioning for this. And if you could script a star to kind of carry the Duncan mantle temperamentally, it would be Kawhi Leonard. One reason I find this a little interesting is some stuff that's been breaking in the last couple of days, uh, especially we're recording this on a Tuesday. And there are some rumors around LaMarcus Aldridge that I find to be really interesting. I think they started when Zach Lowe noted that he wouldn't be surprised if the Spurs started to sh- look around to see if they would trade LaMarcus Aldridge. And there have been a couple of reports today, Jackie McMullen saying she thinks that Spurs will trade him before the end of the year. And I look at that and they say he's not fitting in. As well as you would expect, I look at that and I'm, I'm honestly a little surprised. Are you surprised that uh, there are these rumors popping up with the Marcus Aldridge? It sure looked like he integrated with the team well last year.
1: Well, honestly, um, the the rumors surprised me, but there I I, I can't say I'm I'm shocked at, just because I was around the team enough last year to notice the difference between him and what we associate with Spurs culture. He's a great player. Don't get me wrong. Um, I mean, really, he surprised me defensively, to be honest with you. I didn't think he had, he had that in him defensively and offensively. I think he meshed better than most people expected, uh, you know, right away with the Spurs, but just personality wise, there's just, it's hard to put a finger on it, but it's just something is missing with him. He's not a bad guy by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't know. I just like that Spurs level accountability, I think, was missing from him where there was like a little insecurity there, a little like, you know, he's the kind of guy where, where, you know, if he had a great game, you know, 25 points, you know, and the Spurs win, okay, he'll, he's going to talk to you, you know, he's going to talk in the locker room, but if he has a quiet game, he's nowhere to be found. And with the Spurs, you're kind of used to the opposite of that, really, where Tim Duncan would never talk and wins, but if the team lost a game, he'd be there and he'd be accountable for it. He'd answer questions for it as much as he loathed the media. And it's just it was just kind of a different thing to get used to. And and even before Alder joined the team, you know, you heard the stuff about him and Damian Lillard in Portland and how he he wanted he was uh he was uh you know insecure about the attention about Lillard was getting and and then in San Antonio he had a bad game against the Warriors, like a really quiet game at Golden State. And the next day he shut down his Twitter because he said he wanted to lock in and focus on basketball. It just it was just like there's just these weird, like insecure and unaccountable like vibes I got from him that we just don't associate with the Spurs.
0: It's odd. Jackie McMullen, I think, said today was asked, you know, whether she would want him on the Celtics. And she said, not after what I heard the other day. I don't. There's some stuff going on. That's super cryptic. And to your point. I remember there was one Portland writer wrote something along the lines of, you know, this is actually a huge sigh of relief for the Blazers that he's gone. And I remember that feeling really strange at the time because he's such a great player. And lo and behold, that team, you know, obviously wasn't as good as they were with Aldridge, but was probably much more together, overachieved and all that. And... But I thought that with the way that Aldridge played in the second half, some of this stuff was behind us and he was actually fitting in. And he had expressed a desire when he went to San Antonio to fit in. This was the whole reason he picked the Spurs. Is it just harder than it looks?
1: I think it might be. I think maybe it is a case of you have to literally grow up within the Spurs organization. You know, you have to be drafted by them, you know, from the get go. And if you come in there, you know, with your career, your your reputation well formed already. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to adjust to that. And and I, like I said, I think as a basketball player, he fit in quite well, but there's just something missing. And I actually thought he got better with it as the year went on went along. But uh, but I don't know, maybe they saw something in the playoffs or maybe they saw something in the offseason where it adjusted their thinking a little bit. But, I mean, even at first with Danny Green, Danny Green had a tough transition to the Spurs and he was cut a couple of times and he really had to adjust uh, his personality to fit in. And... And you know we've we even we've even seen it with Tony Parker where this, the team wasn't always invested in Tony Parker fully, and and he kind of had to shed some of the the Hollywood element of his life before the team was fully committed to him going like long term. So it's not yeah, like you said, it's not it's not as easy as it looks.
0: Well, that's why I'm a little surprised that he's on the market. This is an impatient sort of thought process. You know, you, you would think he'd need maybe another year to get used to it, but perhaps there's a lot more there than the meets the eye. And perhaps they also might be looking at it and saying he's 31, you know, Leonard is a lot younger. We probably—I mean, maybe you would disagree—but they're probably not beating the Warriors this year. Nobody is, I don't think. And what if we could kind of kick the timeline back a little bit by getting something back in a trade? I wonder if that's also part of the thought process as well.
1: I definitely don't disagree about the Warriors. Believe me, I, I'm, no <laughs> I, I'm no fool. I'm no fool. I think the Warriors are about as much of a foregone conclusion as you can have in the NBA. You know, injury risk risk aside. But, yeah, maybe there's something to that. Maybe maybe the second the Warriors, you know, fully acquired Kevin Durant, you know, and that became official. the maybe the Spurs, you know, as smart as they are, they realized, you know, they're they're chasing ghosts at this point. and you know, praying for injuries to Curry or Durant is no way to go through a season. So, yeah, if you could get younger, if you get full value for for Aldridge, who's definitely not going to get any better at 31 years old, then, yeah, I mean, maybe that is the smart basketball play going forward. Maybe you do punt the next two, three years and just give it up to the Warriors and say, hey, you know, let's build for, for, for the next guy. Let's get the next Tim Duncan because Aldridge is not the next Tim Duncan, you know. But if Joel Embiid, let's say, you know, proves he could stay healthy, maybe he could be that guy. Who
0: knows? Or anyone, yeah, or maybe it's just a high draft pick, and just like kind of load, yeah. lay it back a little bit. But it's interesting you agree with some of the stuff that's out there because I think for a lot of people who don't follow the team closely, this is, comes as a big surprise that it seemed like Aldridge was fitting in. So
1: I, I just have to I just have to consider the source. I mean, with all due respect, um, this isn't Stephen A. or Skip saying this stuff. This is Jackie McMullen and Zach Lowe.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's also what you observed a little bit covering the team, that there was perhaps a little bit different, a difference in temperament. So very curious to see how that plays out because I think on the court with another year under the system with the Spurs, I could see Aldridge having another fine season. So the other big move that the Spurs made this, that the Spurs actually made this year was bringing in Pau Gasol. And I think, obviously, if you're thinking about a player that fits Spurs culture, uh, Gasol's pedigree makes sense. But I think, I'm concerned that he his weaknesses are going to get mass in it with the rest of the roster. Did you think that was a good move to bring in Pagasol? Gasol? Uh,
1: I mean, as far as as far as hoping or praying to contend, what other choices do they have? Really, I mean, salary cap wise they were they were kind of hamstrung by uh by the by the situation they had with, uh, with Tony Parker's contract as long as as long as he's a part of their culture and he's making the 15 million that he's making and they're never gonna trade one of their big three, you know they're just not gonna be disloyal in that fashion. They're gonna write out those contracts until they expire. Uh, I mean, Gasol was really the best they could do and he's still a very good player at 35, 36. Uh, he was still better for the bulls on the court on the floor than he was off the floor you know when he was on the bench. And I think, I think some of his defensive inefficiencies are a little overblown, to be honest. I mean, he's not a great defender, but, I mean, there's a lot of guys out there who are worse. I still think he, he blocks plenty of shots. He gets plenty of rebounds. He's kind of like Duncan in that aspect where he gets a lot of those block shots from his tiptoes. And, I, and offensively, I think he's kind of a genius. I mean, I really do think he's kind of a genius player. And I think, if anything, the offensive aspect of his game will be, will be heightened by playing with the Spurs, by playing with guys like Ginobili. Uh, you know, who see the court the way he does. And it's something that, you know, has been missing from this offense. They they definitely needed better offensive personnel from last year's team.
0: Yeah, so they were a... Good statistical offense, but certainly they took a drop. They shot a lot of long twos. Some of that was just having Aldridge as what he does. But some of it also was they were playing two bigs a lot. They didn't have someone with as much skill as Gasol. They had David West playing a lot of minutes, and he had a good year. But Gasol can do many more things than that. Diao had a much worse year, I think, than he did the year before. And so that's definitely true. Offensively, you could see Gasol kind of in the high posts and playing a nice high-low game with Aldridge. And all of that. And defensively, they have quite a far you know, cliff to fall. They were the best defensive team in the league by quite a ways. So yeah, I can see where you're coming from with this working out quite well.
1: The way I look at it is just like the the Spurs brought out the defensive best in Aldridge. And granted, I mean, playing, du- playing with Duncan is going to help that, obviously. I think they could bring out whatever ceiling, limited ceiling Gasol has defensively, just with their coaching and... And their culture. And I think I think big man defense is a little overrated these days. I mean, how many true post up threats are there in the league? It's all about small ball now and the wings and the Spurs have such an advantage defensively with Leonard and Danny Green out there locking up people that they're kind of they're kind of playing with house money defensively with the bigs anyway.
0: It's a good point. I do worry about the mobility of the Aldridge and Gasol, but only in the absolute worst matchups like that. I think a lot of times we think of the Spurs in comparison to Golden State, and you look at the Spurs setup, and it's hard to see how they'll guard Golden State. But there are 28 other teams in the league, and with every other team, they match up just fine. It seems like to me.
1: And Duncan, Duncan was useless against the Warriors anyway, so right. it's not like it's not like they've like downgraded in that matchup.
0: Also, they did have some defensive success against the Warriors. The problem they had is that they could not score against the Warriors. That was the exactly. number one problem. And Gasol fixes that. The The other thing I worry a little about with the Spurs is last year their bench was a big plus with with West, with Dial, with some of the guys that they had there. And they lose those two players, and they replace them. I don't know if they've really done enough to replace their production. You're looking – they signed David Lee. Uh, Daniel Herborn, who sends us a question, kind of wants to know what role David Lee is going to play. Uh, and they also got Dwayne Detman. Are you worried that their bench is not going to be as strong as it was last year?
1: Well, honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't a big fan of the bench last year. I mean, for the most part. I think, I think Diao finally showed. He, he was over the hill last year. And David West had some good games offensively, but he offered no rim protection. I really hated when Popovich would play West and Diaw together as opposed to staggering Duncan and Aldridge. And I fear that you know, we're gonna be in for something similar this year with uh with David Lee playing with uh with uh Dwayne Dedman. Although I guess Dedman's a bigger guy. maybe it'll be okay. But uh but I'm, I'm to to answer your question, I'm really not a fan of David Lee. I've never been a fan of David Lee. I think he's a worse version of David West. Uh, I think he's going to be a defensive nightmare. And but and you know and pa- Patrick Mills always, has always taken the worst shots on the Spurs. It looks great when he goes in. When it doesn't go in, he he's kind of a useless player. And
0: you know, is also older, although he's
1: back. Ginobili's Genobli's older. He's going to play sixty-five games. He's going to play eighteen minutes when he's right he still looks like a genius out there he makes the game much more fun for spurs fans believe me he 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 he's still a difference maker even if his statistics don't look good sometimes i think defensively he's always been incredibly underrated but um but i mean the de- defense is going to depend on Kyle Anderson and Jonathan Simmons really taking a step up if those guys don't become consistent viable players night in and night out that defense is going to be really, really in bad shape.
0: Do you think they will? And they're also, they signed some European players as well that could fit in. Uh, Do you see any of those players kind of jumping into the rotation and playing a big role?
1: Uh, I'm not even sure if any of those guys will. I mean, I think Livio Jean-Charles almost has to make the team. I think he's got a contract where the Spurs are going to have to eat some money if he doesn't make the team, but he can't play. He couldn't even play for France. He couldn't even play, like really produce in the French League. And the French League is like where where Bruce Bowen averaged 30 a game, <laughs> so so I'm not hopeful of uh, Livio Jean-Charles in the, by any stretch, and and uh, they had an Argentine guy, Patricio Guarino, who I think is a hustling defense guy. He's got some liveliness to him. The Spurs definitely need more depth on the wing, but I don't really know if he's going to be able to make the team, and if he does make the team, I think he might be in Austin quite a bit, so to answer your question, and I guess he's not European, he's Argentinian, but
0: but, uh, I well, they have one other guy right, Burton's, right, oh,
1: yeah, Burton's, yeah, he might be like their uh, the heir to Matt Bonner's throne has like a stretch four, but uh, but no, to answer your question i'm I'm not too too hopeful of their their foreign prospects at least for this season.
0: They also have a uh, Dejounte Murray, uh, their first-round pick. I mean, they need one of these players to to Kyle Anderson, Simmons, Murray, one of these guys to help them a little bit, don't they? I mean, they they don't quite have the great advantage of resting Duncan anymore, you know, with their bench. I know they have a powerful starting five, but they do need something from some somebody uh, off the radar, which they have historically gotten for many many years. I just don't know where they're going to get it this year.
1: That's always been the great con or like uh, – I don't know, maybe cons is too strong the word, but the, the, the great uh, magic act, kind of like Houdini act that Greg Popovich has pulled over people where he's convinced uh, people who don't follow the Spurs too closely that they care less about the regular season than these other teams because of the way they sit Duncan and Parker and Ginobili when really the truth has always been that the reason they've been so successful in the regular seasons is because they take it a lot more seriously than everybody else does. They, they never give up on a game you know they, they 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 don't have those kind of games where the Warriors had like last year against the Lakers on a Sunday afternoon where it was so obvious they went clubbing the night before and they just had nothing <laughs> they just had like nothing for that game and they lost like 30 points to the Lakers the Spurs don't have those games where they just don't show up I mean even even when their stars sit the whoever's playing for them they, they have a system they have set a, a set offense everybody can execute it. Their 11 through 15 guys are always better than the other team's 11 through 15 guys, and that kind of stuff matters in the regular season. So, in the play, it doesn't matter at all in the playoffs, but it matters in the regular season and it gives them a big advantage in the regular season when you have so many games and so many teams taking so many games off for whatever reason.
0: Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about a little earlier as well. Uh, did the the playoff loss to Oklahoma City uh, in the regular season? The Spurs had, I believe, a better point differential than even the Warriors. They were so good from night to night. They had such the same effort. They had this great defense. And then the playoffs come, and they face a team that has sort of upped its game, and they maybe don't have another gear. That's the criticism I came out from that series thinking. Like, wow, the Thunder held a lot in reserve, and the Spurs could not match that. And I wonder if that's going to happen again. Is that a fair read of how last year went, and is that a fair concern for how this year is going to go as well?
1: It's been a fair concern for for many years, not just last year. I think uh, I think that's that's been a legitimate concern for the Spurs since twenty eleven or twenty twelve, where they they've played close to their ceiling during the regular season and just haven't been able to find another gear during the playoffs. In the playoffs, everybody everybody's rested. Everybody, there's no road trips. There's no back to backs. There's, you know, everybody's playing as hard as they can on offense and defense, and it hurts the Spurs. And their depth doesn't help them. Their their ninth man being better than the other team's ninth man doesn't help them. Their tenth man being better than the other team's tenth man does it does nothing for them. It's all about your top seven or eight guys, and who can, who, which and and you know the superstars, and and that's hurt the Spurs in every year except for 2014 when leg- legitimately they had the best team.
0: Yeah, and in the Thunder's case, they played only six guys, so... There is one chance that they have one player who can transcend all that, and that's the one we haven't talked about so far. That's Kawhi Leonard. Last year, I thought he was tremendous, uh, and I think everybody thinks he's tremendous. He took a a big jump offensively. He's probably the best defensive wing I've seen since Scottie Pippen in the league. He's just unbelievable. He's he's got this mirror. He covers the wing when you don't have the ball, when you do have the ball. And last year, he showed a lot more offensive punch. What's the next step for Kawhi Leonard uh, to – Get an MVP conversation. I think defensively,
1: I I, I almost want to knock on
0: wood, but
1: every time time I think, okay, this is as great as he could possibly be, Leonard keeps improving and just proving me wrong. But I think defensively, he's close to maxing out what he can do. I guess maybe he could block more shots. I mean, because it's kind of weird how Danny Green blocks more shots than Kawhi Leonard does. But uh, I think offensively, the next step for him is to be – is to be like kind of less Carmelo like I want to say he has to move the ball he has to be a better passer and he has to make quicker decisions I think I think he kind of holds the ball too long he kind of isos a little too much for my taste and I think he 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 has to he has to make those like like the 2014 Spurs he has to make those quick 0.5 second decisions drive pass or or shoot instead of you know looking, looking over the defense and making and taking like three seconds to make a decision. And I think that's kind of slowed down the offense at times, even when he, even when he makes a shot, it it just, it bogs down everybody else. And I think both he was guilty of it. Aldridge was certainly guilty of it. And I think it leads to three guys just kind of standing around, you know, with their thumbs up their butts and it, (laughs) it doesn't, it doesn't really maximize what the team can do.
0: Yeah, twenty six percent of his shots last year were classified as pull up jumpers, uh, and I think that's a, a surprisingly large number for a player that prior to last year was very much a spot up type of player. You know, last year I think was one of the first years where we really saw him kind of take his guy off the dribble and shoot. I, less than more than half his shots were off more than one dribble. He shot a lot of two-point jumpers. Uh, His playmaking, I think, could improve as well. There was a little bit of tunnel vision involved, but at the same time, it was also the first year where he's really doing any of that, and he's proven to be a quick study. So I, I see no reason why he can't become a much more efficient player. It's not like in his other role he was inefficient. It's just that they piled more stuff on him, and he isn't quite durant or lebron or whatever in his passing ability so it was just a little bit more difficult for him to score but i see no reason why that can't improve
1: yeah i mean i i'm i'm hopeful i'm hopeful that he'll improve on that this year because that's really the only step he has to go he's already just such a devastating a mid-range shooter and i just i i just kind of want him to call his own number a little less at times
0: Well, it's interesting that the Spurs are now very much built around two guys who, at least last year, are mid-range shooters that need that dribble to get their mid-range shots. Uh, And again, Leonard hasn't always been that, but he became that last year. And Aldridge, I think, is probably a lost cause. I mean, there was a lot of talk coming into last year about Aldridge shooting more corner threes. It does not appear that that has been the case. He kind of played the same way, maybe with a few fewer dribbles. I thought he made some strides, uh, but generally he was the same player. And Leonard definitely was uh, a guy who dribbled to get his own offense. Does it matter that the Spurs don't play the same sort of style that won them the title in two thousand fourteen, or is this just another example of, hey, the Spurs are adapting to what they have, and they'll win in a lot of different ways, and it's okay; they're they're successful playing another way, and that may reinvent reinvent the wheel. Uh, or is there should this team be a lot more fluid than they are?
1: I I think they have to adapt. I think they have to shoot and make more three pointers. I there's just there's just no other way that you know. They could they could find enough points because because I think it's fair even if, if even if we say the criticism of Gasol defensively is overblown, it's it's fair to expect the defense to take a step backward without Duncan overall. And you know I it just you it's just it's just a basic equation where are the points going to come from where if you're just shooting two pointers if you're not getting to the free throw line this team has has not gotten to the free throw line very much for years and years now and you can only score so much shooting two pointers, mid, mid range two pointers, no matter how well you shoot them. And that was really the biggest disappointment I had with Aldridge last year from a basketball standpoint. Is he made thirty seven out of one hundred and five for Portland two years ago, and then he came to the Spurs and he never he didn't, he didn't shoot three pointers at all. He was 0 of sixteen, you know, in the in the whole season. And I, I've seen him make uh you know take and make a lot of three pointers in practice this season. So I'm hoping he sh- he gets back to what he did his last year in Portland. I'm hoping Gasol shoots a lot more of them uh, because I think that's really the, been the biggest feeling of the Spurs. And the reason they've struggled in the playoffs is because I think nowadays you need you – need, your point guard needs to be able to shoot three-pointers. And the Spurs don't have a point guard in Tony Parker who shoots very many of them. And and you know I think it hurts them in the playoffs because it's not like Parker gets to the free throw line much anymore. It's not like he finishes at the rim very well anymore. The teardrops have kind of gone away from his game the last three, four years, where it's it's not automatic anymore, and I think Parker being a li- being a liability kind of hampers really everything. It kind of slows down the whole offense once you get into the playoffs because they they can only score two at a time.
0: So last year they were second in the league in mid-range attempts per game. Only the Knicks shot more. So to your point, this was a big part of their offense. Now they shot them very well, but like you said, it's not as efficient. Uh, And I I think you're right about the limitations of Parker. He just isn't the same knifing threat he was anymore, and you see decline every year. That being said, is there anything that the Spurs can do with the personnel they have to juice up that offense a little bit more in terms of shot selection, or is it just going to have to be a matter of maximizing what they have?
1: I think, I think, like I said, the, the main the main things they, they need are they need to be able to get three-pointers from both Gasol and Aldridge to really stretch people out and cause mismatches there. Because, I mean, it's one thing to have one, you know, quote-unquote stretch five, but to have two on the floor at the same time, I'm not, I'm not sure if we've ever seen that. And I really don't know how opponents could deal with that, with all that space on the floor, with, uh, you know, two big guys drawing that size out from the paint completely – and I think it would really open up lanes for for, for Parker and for Le, for Leonard. And beyond that, I think, uh, like you, like we've talked about before, they need to find somebody on the bench to contribute. They need, you know, whether it's Simmons or Anderson or both of them, they need to take huge steps forward this year. And more than anything else, uh, Leonard's, Leonard has to take a step up as, as a passer and be more of a complete threat offensively.
0: So I find that we're spending a lot of time not thrilled with where this team is going. And obviously there's still – 27 teams maybe 28 that would trade places with the spurs
1: that's how spoiled
0: spurs fans are <laughs> i mean
1: i i was like i was you know i i have to do the the preview coming up pretty shortly here and i was looking over last year and it simply boiled I and mean, blew my mind and i was covering a team and it still blew my mind that they won 67 games last year i was like wow this didn't look like a 67 win roster And I could have sworn they won like 62 or 63 and I look back on it and they won 67 games and I was like, oh my God, how did this happen? And that's how spoiled Spurs fans are like where, you know, the team is going to be a two or three seed, probably a three seed at the worst. They're going to win 58, 59 games. And when they lose in the second round, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be upset. We're going to be disappointed. And and like you said, you know, almost everybody would, would kill to be in that position.
0: But you do think that even though they won 67, and they probably, based on point differential, could have won more, uh, and even though they just happen to always struggle against the Thunder, and even though that while they lost Duncan, they replaced Gasol, and they still have most of their core team, even with all of that, is there a fear that something something is sort of slowly eroding? And we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but in hearing you talk and hearing some of these concerns, one thing I worry about is that you know, look, the Spurs always find a way and they have such intelligent front office and they have such a long track record that we really shouldn't doubt. But I do start to worry that maybe there are some elements of this foundation that are cracking and there's a bit of an unknown as to what goes through it. Now they're they're in a great position because they have Leonard and that enough is more than what most teams are. But in the post-Duncan era, I just kind of wonder what this team is going to look like in five years, 10 years. It's going to be an interesting journey because they are going to have to reinvent themselves. And through all their reinventions in the past, at least they had the presence of Duncan to kind of bring it all together. And I know Duncan wasn't a great encore contributor last year, but they don't have that anymore. And now you said at the beginning that you're confident that Spurs culture will prevail, but there are definitely holes in this team. And what has to happen in the next – where do you see this team in five years? I mean, what what's the path back to a title contention if we say that they're not a title contender this year and they're just kind of one of those teams that's going to rack up regular season wins and bow out to teams that can raise their level in the playoffs? I mean, what's the path back?
1: Well, I don't know if Spurs fans are going to like it, but I think the the path back – I mean, you just have to harken back to history. It's been the way – it's the the thing that's always been the case. They have to bottom out at some point even if it's for just a year, and draft the next, you know, superstar, you know, in the lottery, like first overall or second overall or however it comes, because I think the one thing that really comforted Spurs fans more than anything else is not that just but you know, that they had a superstar player, but that the superstar player was a center. And I think there's just something symbolic in that where he is, uh, you know, the anchor of the team, you know, both literally and figuratively. And he's a guy who, well... When all else is failing, you know, at least defensively, you're going to be okay because you have a guy that's going to, uh, you know, protect the rim, get the rebounds. You're not going to need to score a million points to win the game. And I think there's always been something comforting in that for Spurs fans. And it's helped that both Duncan and Robinson have been such solid citizens where you never really had to worry about them off the floor. There's never really been any controversy associated with them. And Leonard encompasses many of those aspects, but at the same time, he's still a wing and while in the modern NBA, you know, Wings have kind of taken over the game, it's just, it's just it just doesn't have that same kind of, I don't know, maybe it's just a Spurs history, but it just doesn't feel like, it just doesn't have that same kind of security blanket kind of feel to it, where you, you're thinking, well, okay, we have Leonard, and we could single-handedly win 55 games with Kawhi Leonard.
0: It doesn't feel like that to you?
1: I mean, not so much. I mean, we don't get me wrong; they're fully dependent on him. Where to the point, I think maybe that's the most trouble thing, where troublesome thing, where if he goes down, you, like you don't even know how they can win a game, because they're like so overwhelmingly dependent on him at this point on both ends of the floor. But at, I think just to be a title contender, uh, I th- I think they need another. You know, they're going to need a star center at some point.
0: That's interesting. So there's, there's, you don't see really a path where they can kind of reload around, around Aldridge. Okay. They have Gasol for a couple of years. Uh, They keep Aldridge or, or, and they keep Leonard and whatever. And maybe they position themselves as a free agent destination again and get in, they did get in the room with Durant last year. Maybe there's someone they can get in the room with later. You think that that's not going to be enough? They, they still need.
1: I I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too biased with Spurs history, but I I think the path has to be through a young guy who they can mold from from the very beginning, you know, and who hasn't really, you know, I don't want to. I think poisoned is too strong of a word, obviously, but, you know, who hasn't been influenced, let's say, by other teams. And I kind of want them to be like a spur from the beginning, almost just kind of fresh out of the box, the way Leonard was, the way Duncan was, the way Robinson was.
0: Well, that makes sense. I mean, the it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if this team is kind of a perennial fifty-two win team instead of a sixty-two win team for a while. It's that can't be that bad. But that being said, let's talk about how we think the Spurs are going to do this year. I threw out fifty-two wins as that seems really low. I mean, do you? Yeah, where are you looking, I mean, what are you think looking at as far as this year? Are we thinking uh, they approach sixty-seven again? Are they going to be a lot worse? Uh, where are we? What's the thought there? I I think, I mean, it seems bad on paper,
1: but I don't, I think there's a really a fine line between 67 wins and 56. I I don't think it takes a whole lot to tumble from 67 to 56. So I would say, I mean, I would say about 54, 55 is right. And regardless of whether they're a two seed or a three seed, I think the, the realistic expectation would be for them to lose in the second round to the Clippers. I think that would be a fair realistic expectation because uh, they've always had problems with the Clippers. I think if you ask most Spurs fans who pay attention, they'll tell you, you know, you could take Durant, Curry, LeBron, Westbrook, whoever you want to name. And the guy in the NBA that terrifies Spurs fans more than any other is Chris Ball. They've just never had an answer for him uh, defensively, whether it's Green, whether it's Leonard, whoever you want to put. Like his ter- his t- pick and roll has just been absolutely unstoppable for the Spurs for whatever reason. And the Clippers get whatever shot they want every time. Leonard can't seem to do anything with uh with um JJ Redick who keeps losing him on those screens, and Blake Griffin is completely unstoppable, and the Clippers are just a nightmare for them. Uh, I mean, I know for a fact even like Spurs coaches were saying they preferred to play the Thunder last year to the Clippers if like the Clippers were healthy. Well, that so that didn't work they, they out so well <laughs> yeah it didn't. it didn't but they still like that matchup because with the with the thunder it was just about you know those two freaks basically and you, you knew you knew at least you knew what was coming with the clippers you know like the the, the thunder is just the athleticism with the clippers they could like legitimately out basketball you and that's what that's that's what freaks out the spurs like they could legitimately out basketball you
0: well, at the same time, the, the Clippers don't have anyone to stop Kawhi Leonard. And I think two years ago when they played in the playoffs, he had a really rough series. And I don't think that would happen again in a second-round matchup. So I, mean, I do agree that that's a tough matchup for them. Uh, 55, though, still seems like quite a drop uh, from where they were. I, I think they could get close to 60 again. But I, I do generally agree with your read that this is a strong regular season team that in the playoffs – Parker's holes become much more magnified, Gasol's holes become much more magnified. Even Lamarcus Aldridge's holes become more magnified. And and Danny Green, while he had a rough year last year and while he's such a great defensive player, it, he doesn't have the quickest shot release and that will affect him as well. So I I see I agree that that's not a series I would favor the Spurs, but I also find it hard to believe that they'll dip that much from last year i mean i'm looking more 57 wins 58 wins so it's interesting that uh i mean two
1: years ago two years ago they were they were like the sixth seed and they won like 54 55 games that's true so so that doesn't take a whole lot to, to 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 slip up or get better really it's just i think it comes down to injury luck uh, I think I, I most I think four I think last year was like Leonard's first year where he never missed like you know two weeks or three weeks with some kind of injury. Usually, the brand of defense he plays kind of necessitates him missing some time, just because you know you, you don't you don't put your hands out there or your body out there on the line physically without you know sacrificing some kind, something. And I, I don't know. And now especially with the with the load they're asking him to you know on offense too. I think I think I think he's a fairly fairly significant injury risk just because of the burden that's placed on him at both ends of the floor.
0: Yeah, I guess that's true. He did miss time two years ago, I believe you said, and I think two the year before that. So yeah, that that's very much possible. And yes, if they lose him, their defense certainly isn't nearly as good. Uh but uh, it'll be interesting to see. It it does sound like the Spurs are moving to a new phase in their franchise lifeblood and we we can't trust them the same way we quite did before and i think that may come as a surprise to a lot of people just who are used to seeing the spurs in a certain place in the standings playing a certain way all that i mean the culture may survive but it it does feel like it's eroding a little bit and it's going to be interesting to see how the spurs evolve to their next level without the super duper star and if leonard can Get to the point where, you know, for a time I felt like he was on the level of a Durant or a LeBron last year. But then I think in the playoffs, while he wasn't bad, I think Durant outshined him uh, in that series. And I think LeBron clearly outshined him going forward. You see the gap there, even though Kawhi is incredible. You do see that there's a gap between him and some of the very, very best players in the game. And it's going to be interesting to see if he can close that, that gap this year.
1: I mean, honestly, my interpretation of that might have been a little different than yours. What I saw in the playoffs against Oklahoma City was was Leonard just short-circuiting from the realization that he really didn't have much help around him because he's always grown up in this culture of of you know whether it's being the team's fourth best player or third best player or whatever it was of of being able to rely on Parker and Ginobili and Duncan. You know, to to help him, to you know Danny Green, you know just being a part of an ensemble cast. And then in the playoffs, what happens is, really in that series, Parker was MIA, Ginobili had nothing left, and and Leonard was great for. I mean, Aldridge was great for the first two games, and then he really didn't do much in Oklahoma City. So I think it came down to Leonard just realizing, oh my God, I'm all alone out here, and there's only so much I can do, and it just kind of overwhelmed him.
0: Yeah, it's the next step in his evolution. I mean, he's not at the point yet, I think, where he is capable of perhaps lifting up other players in the same way that LeBron and Durant can just by their mere presence. And that was a bit of a crash course because I agree he didn't he, I'm not I don't want to say he played badly. He was playing quite well, and he certainly played better than any of his teammates, but this is of course what the next step to being one of this is how you go from being the 6th or 7th best player in the league to the 2nd or 3rd or 1st you know you have to have there's some quality where you lift up other players and make them play above their means with whether it's with playmaking whether it's with other things and he's had the luxury of being able to develop his on his own pace and this is sort of the year that he needs to sort of lift up everybody else in a different sort of way to kind of carry this franchise forward because it is really on him now uh, both really and symbolically and reality so Going to be really interesting to see because uh, I think the Spurs will still be there, uh, but I do sense that there's something. There's this is a bit of a turning point for them for the next four or five years this season, and how that plays out will be interesting. Uh, is there anything else we haven't talked about that you feel like is a key to this season?
1: Uh, no, I think we've covered most of it. But I mean, just like what we were talking about before with Aldridge, I think I think maybe that's where the disappointment comes from. I think the team was really depending on him to kind of be. Uh, you know, a second banana to Leonard as far as being able to handle the demands, the media demands of, of you know, being that secondary star and, you know, and having some of that att- that burden and he just didn't want any part of it and I think that was kind of, a, that's kind of been a disappointment for the organization where Aldridge just wants to just basically play and be left alone and, and, you know, and it's just kind of throwing everything, all the responsibility and all the accountability on Leonard and I think that's been kind of like you know all the leadership on Leonard, and I think that's been kind of been you know disappointing to them in some respect. It's like it's like what happened. You know, you were the guy who wanted some of the some of the attention in Portland, and you were upset that Leonard that Lillard was going. You know, was getting it, and now you're in San Antonio, and you don't want any of the attention. And it's like it's almost like they they got a different guy than the personality was, and they they bargained for.
0: Well, they should have known. I mean, I think they knew that was who he was, but I guess they must have thought that their culture could help kind of change him or whatever. So I don't know. I, I'm still, I'm watching that story, but I also think that Aldridge made strides last year. And so I, I don't want to say that he can't do it, but it is definitely something to watch and has definitely caught a lot of people by surprise uh, that that happened. And for the Spurs sake, I hope He evolves uh, personality-wise because I do think on the court he he really made some strides. But that is going to be very interesting to watch if he is traded. Who do you think might want? I mean, you're looking at like Phoenix, LA, uh, maybe Boston.
1: LA certainly courted him a couple years ago pretty aggressively. But I I would guess it would be more of a. I mean, I, I would guess it would be more of an Eastern Conference team just because the East teams just I mean they're so lacking in talent. I don't know about Boston just because they already got they already got Horford. But, um, I mean, they certainly have, you know, Danny Green's, quote-unquote – I mean, Danny, Danny Ainge's, quote-unquote, assets. But, yeah, I, I would think it would be some kind of – maybe, I don't know, like Washington. You know, it would be some, some, some random Eastern team you never see coming. Maybe, you know, whether it's Chicago. Chicago might – I mean, they don't, they, don't really have, they don't really have any bigs, you know, that, that, that scare you. So, I mean, they could certainly use a big to go with, uh, to go with Wade and Butler to make them really a threat. I just, yeah, it's going to be some random Eastern conference team. I think if it's anybody,
0: I'd look out for Toronto. I think that's another team that could use him. Uh, but a lot of these teams just don't have a lot to trade. You know, you have to take a lot for Aldridge. He's still a really productive player. So anyway, it'll be fun to watch uh, Michael Earler, Thank you so much for coming on. Tell the folks where they can find you.
1: We uh, could find me at poundingtherock.com the com, where uh, we cover the Spurs every day. Me and a Whole cast of uh, fellow writers, uh, you know, covering uh, the most successful team in in the NBA year in year out, except for for these uh, these rascals in the in Golden State.
0: Yeah, those those jerks. Uh, Pounding the Rock is a really tremendous site, one of our flagship sites for many many years, and you've been writing there for many many years as well, right? This is what year eight or nine?
1: Yeah, off and on. I'm not I'm not I'm not their main guy anymore, but I kind of do I I kind of do big picture stuff for them as opposed to the you know day to day.
0: Okay, and your Twitter handle is uh, Michael Earler SBN, correct? Correct. Yeah, so follow him there. Keep your eye on some very interesting developments happening in San Antonio. This Aldridge situation, the first year of post Duncan, it's going to be a really interesting year out there. But. Stay tuned. We still have two more uh, team previews here on the Limited Upside Podcast, and those are our two finalists, the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors, the evil empire. And soon also Ben will be back from his honeymoon, and we'll talk about maybe some over-unders before the season starts and then before you know it, the season is here. We also got our NBA preview coming up in the next couple days, so tune in for that. But until next time, this is the Limited Upside Podcast.